Welcome to the Pastor Nora King Podcast. We're confident that the message you're about to hear will enhance and empower your life in God. Now, here's Pastor Nora. So what I want to do tonight is I just want to share a few things with you about how to fight against strife. And the Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. It's not going to be through any uh, outward thing that you do. It's going to be by taking the Word of God and putting it in your mouth as a sword and cutting up the enemy. Because you can't fight and war against flesh and blood. Doesn't the Bible say that your warfare is not with flesh and blood? Now, flesh and blood can be used, but you have to understand that on the other side of that man or that woman in the workplace or in your family or whatever, on the other side of that is a demon spirit. Now, let me tell you something. We live in a time where um, it, it's, it's not a spiritually... Correct. You know, you hear politically correct. It's not spiritually correct to talk about you have power over the devil and that Jesus set the church against the devil using the name of Jesus and the word of God. That's not popular right now. That's not in, if you will. But you know what? The Bible is still in. The Bible is still in, and as long as we're on this earth, the Bible says that Jesus has uh, set the church against the devil, against sickness, and to preach the gospel. Those are three things that we're supposed to do. Preach the gospel, cast the devil out, bind his power, and pray for sick people. And you see, oh, oh, let's get homogenized. Let's just get homogenized and let's just have our nice little church and every, you know, we don't want to put anybody on the spot. We don't want to embarrass anybody. We don't want to do anything that might cause people not to come back to church. Do you not know that Jesus is attractive, that the Holy Spirit is attractive, and when we minister in that way, people may not understand, and they may, you know, do this for a little while, put the hands up, but they're drawn to that. They're drawn to the power. They're drawn to the miraculous. They're drawn to the love. And so we need to minister in the way that Jesus has told us to in the church. So I'm not backing up. You know, I, I've ministered, you know, a, a word in, in tongues and interpreted and or sing in the spirit or done something like that, you know, and people would tell other people, well, I wish she hadn't have done that. I brought so-and-so to church with me, and that just really was embarrassing. It's like, honey, we're going to keep on. We've been doing it for 33 years, and we're not stopping now. If the Holy Spirit is moving, we're moving. If he's not, then we ought to shut up and sit down. But if he's moving, he's moving. And we need to be responsive to that. Amen? And so we need to know that the devil is on the other side of a person that, you know, makes themselves a problem in your life. And so if you're all the time mad at a person, you're not getting at the root of the problem. There's a devil on the other side. And when you use the word of God in your mouth, it is a sword that will cut him up. And I'm going to tell you, it's curse words. The Bible is a curse word to the devil. Whatever you say, he can't stand it. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear anybody saying GD this and, you know, all the horrible 
language that goes on, I do want to cover my ears and get out of the presence of that, don't you? But the devil, see, what you have to understand, when we start speaking the Word of God, it is a curse to him because it's, it tells him of his impending destruction. It's coming. It's coming, and they know their authority, and they're taking their authority, and the devil can't... He can't stand it. That's right. Amen. I like what old John Osteen, Brother Osteen, used to say. He says, when I get up out of bed every morning, the devil trembles and he starts running because he knows I'm up. And see, that's the way we need to be. When we get up, we need to make the devil tremble. Not say, oh, goody, what can I do today to discourage? What can I do today to get them down, to get them negative? That's so much of what... You know, we in the church, that's the way we go, but we can change it anytime we want, can't we? Amen. Now, I told you this before, and I'm just going over a few things before I get into some new things, but I began to think about how God is omniscient, which means that He's all-knowing. He has all knowledge. And then as you read about God, you see that He's omnipotent which means he's all-powerful. And I began to think about that, and I began to think how that we cannot be powerful until we have the knowledge of God in our hearts and our minds. That's when we become powerful. It's when God's Word, the knowledge of God's Word is imparted to us. We cannot hear the Word of God enough. I tell you, the other night I was listening to something, somebody preaching and, and, and just in my own heart, you know, I'm sitting there, just me, and, and I'm thinking, God, this is the most wonderful food. It's like angel food to me. Isn't it something how the Word of God can feed you and you can just feel yourself, well, I'm getting stronger. I can feel it. You ever do that? We need to put ourselves in those positions and especially especially when we're weakened as Christians. And you know, there's things that happen in our life to weaken us, things that come along that weaken our faith. You know, just the circumstances of life, things that we face that are so hard and they're so difficult. And, and you know, it, we, we get weak and we lose our strength. And so we need to be strengthened day by day. And preaching and reading your Bible, and then having the right people in your life. How important is it? Not, you don't need somebody around you that, you know, when you're in that weakened state, that they come to you, and, and you know, they're there, and Karen, just give me your hand, and this is, oh, you poor little thing, you're just going through so much. Now, you need, to, you need to begin to speak right things. But now should you, bless God, get on your faith. Is that the way to do it? No, it isn't. That's hard and harsh. I hope I didn't hurt your hand. <laughs> Smacked her a good one. Um, but, but, you know, we need to use compassion, but we need to begin to speak. Now, Karen, I know that it's very difficult for you, but I want to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus was made unto you victory. You're going to have victory, and you're going to overcome in this situation. We're going to pray. We're going to believe God. And see, you begin to mince who you have around your life is so important. Yes, yes, amen. You can have the wrong people. 
and the ones that will pat your hand, but they don't give you any spiritual food to grow and to strengthen you. And we need people that in our life. I was reading the story, and it's over in 2 Samuel and chapter number 13. Let's just go over there. I'm not, I'm not where I am, but I want to read that. I, I want you to, to look with me into that in 2 Samuel chapter number 13. Now, let me set this story up for you, okay? In this story, there is Absalom, who is the son of David. You, you know the story of Absalom. He had lots of problems, didn't he? But anyway... He has a sister named Tamar, and evidently Tamar is a beautiful, beautiful girl, and she's a young girl, and the Bible says that she's a virgin. And then we see another son of David who is Amnon, and Amnon is Absalom and Tamar's half-brother. In other words, mothers are different, the father, David, is the same. And so Amnon, it, I mean, he is just, he is just so in love with his half-sister Tamar. Now you have to understand that in, even in those days that was permissible because you, you know, as you read over here in Second Samuel, you can begin to see, you know, it's even said Tamar says it. Don't take advantage of me because you know that David will give me to you if we go to him in the right way, okay? But here is Tamar and Amnon, and he loves her so much, but she doesn't have a clue. She doesn't have a clue about it at all. And so the Bible says that he's vexed. Amnon is vexed. And you know how it is when you're young, and I mean, you, you know, you think you're madly in love with somebody, and you know, six months later, you come back, and it's like, oh, I don't even want to see him again, <laughs> or her, whatever the case may be, you know? Because when you're young, there's something about that love that is there, and you think, oh, you know, I'll go through hell and high water for this person, you know? Maybe so, maybe not. <laughs> But you know, this is this is where he was. He was. I, uh, I was just talking to to a young girl, and and it was kind of like this. She was almost vexed in a relationship. Oh, I'm so madly in love with him. And and my first question is, are they a believer? Oh, I I knew you were going to ask that. No. No, they're not, but we're madly in love. I said, honey, madly in love in a year from now is going to be way past. There's a lot more to love than what you think in some uh, physical relationship. That might be part of it, but there's much more that goes beyond that. Amen. And that's, that's, that's a sad story going somewhere to happen that I, I'm telling you about. But anyway, so here he is, um, Amnon, and he's madly in love with Tamar, and she doesn't know it. And Amnon, the Bible says, has a friend, verse number three, and his name is Jonadab. And Jonadab is the son of David's brother. In other words, Jonadab is Amnon's cousin. Okay? And the Bible says 
that he was, very, he was a very subtle man. In other words, he was wise, he was cunning, he was crafty, he was devious. And Jonadab is supposed to be a friend of Amnon, and he lays out a plan. Okay, I got it, I'll tell you just what you do. You act like you're sick, and you let your father David see you. And then when he says, what can I do for you? You say, send in Tamar. I want her to fix me something to eat. Let her bring in some food. And so Jonadab gives that plan, crafty, cunning as he is. And he's very, very intelligent too. That word means intelligent uh, man. So in other words, you know what that tells me? He knew what he was doing. He knew he was sitting at setting setting Amnon up for a fall. And who knows what it's for. Maybe he was jealous because he thought, you know, he's the son of the king. And if I get, a, you know, the brothers out of the way, maybe I have, I don't know. I mean, that's speculation, of course. But, but so he lays out the plan. And so Amnon has Tamar come in, bring the food. And then he says, send everybody away and brings him into her room and really what it, uh, into his room and what it amounts to, uh, he raped her. And then the Bible said after that, he couldn't stand Tamar. He, Amnon could not stand ta uh, Tamar after that. And then you know what happened to Amnon. Absalom plotted and plotted, and it took him a little while, but he killed Amnon, his half-brother, because of what happened there. And see, Tamar's life was ruined, Amnon was eventually killed, and it was all because of a wrong relationship, letting wrong people speak into your life. I, I've, I've wondered over the years, I don't know why I'm going this way. I mean, I, I really didn't plan it. But, but, you know, over the years, if you take a person that's had failed marriages and in a bad relationship, and they want to give counseling to people who are married, and people who are married that are having trouble are gullible enough to listen to them. You need to take your counsel. The Bible says, with wise counsel, make your war. In other words, when it's time to war and, uh, you know, get that relationship right, you don't go to people that don't know how to have a good relationship. If you were wanting to learn how to succeed in business and how to be a good businessman, do you think that you would go to someone who's never had a business, who's never done business, who's a coal miner? I mean, you know, or whatever the case might be. No, you're going to go to a wise person who's wise in that way. So be careful about who you let speak into your life. Now, people can say all kinds of things, but what do you accept and receive? You know, I can be around somebody and, you know, they can be spouting off and maybe there's nothing I, I can do to control that. But I don't have to receive that and I don't have to take my advice and my counsel from that. You know, usually on the inside of me, it, it'll just rise up. Well, that's not scriptural. That's not what the Bible says. You know, how about you? Yeah, does that ever happen? 
And so our relationships are so very important and the people who we let in to our lives. That's why the Bible tells us, uh, you know, in the kingdom, uh, when we come into the kingdom, that we do, you know, our best friend is not an unbeliever. That doesn't mean, you know, you can, you can minister to unbelievers, you can minister to people that don't know the Lord, but as far as hanging out with them and letting them be your best friend, it's a mistake because a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. Evil communications corrupt good morals. In other words, what that means is the behavior of people that are around you will corrupt you. No, I'm going to change them. How many times I have heard that? And it doesn't work that way. You have to separate yourself in that way. Not separate yourself in that I'm better than you and I can't share the gospel, but separate yourself in that's not your best friend is an unbeliever. That's really, really important. Very important. Oh, I'm just going to win my husband over. I'm not going to come to church because he doesn't want me to, and I'm going to win my husband over. And then Pastor Nora, when, uh, when he comes to the Lord, we're both coming back. You know how many times I've seen that work? Amen. None. It doesn't work. For you to compromise your faith. Now, I, now, this is a true story. A lady, very godly woman in this church that I respect very much. And her husband wasn't living for the Lord and hadn't been for years, and she had. And I mean, she was faithful to come to church. But there'd be every now and then, and he'd say, will you just stay home with me tonight? Will you just stay home with me? And you know, she was sensitive enough to know. She's told me this. She was sensitive to know, yes, honey, I'll stay with you tonight. Now, did she stop coming to church every night? No, she didn't. But she was sensitive to that. So there is a balance in it. There is. Amen. But you don't, compromise will not win you anything in a situation like that in, in your spiritual life. Amen. So let's look at what strife uh, has to do with. It's discord. It has to do with conflict, contention, disunity, fighting, arguments. Related words are argue, fight, bitter, murmur, critical, judgmental. Recently, I was in a situation, and no, I'm not going to tell you what it was, but I just started complaining. I just started complaining, and then somebody brought it to my attention, and I said, oh, shucks, I guess I am, but I want to do it. I want to complain in this situation, because I don't like it. I don't like what it is, but, you know, life is full of things that you don't like, and so what you have to learn instead of complaining, now, do I have any women, don't raise your hand, but I have women that like to complain sometimes. No, not any in here. But, but when you understand that complaining can be a form of strife, then you'll, you'll get a lid on it, right? You'll get, you'll get that under control. It means um, to be critical, and it means to be judgmental. Now, I want you to turn with me over to the book of Numbers 13, and we're going to look here at a moment, for a moment, at a group of people 
that if you have read the Old Testament, you know this story, and if you haven't, you'll get to see it tonight. But here is a group of people that has been told to go into the land of Canaan. Now listen to this in verse number 2 of chapter 13. Send men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I... What's that next word? Which I... You're not saying it. Which I... Yeah. Okay. He didn't say which I am going to give. He said which I give. Which I give unto the children of Israel of every tribe and ruler. Okay, so here we see that they're going to be sent to Canaan. And uh, verse number 21 says they went up and they searched the land. And uh, the Bible says that when they began to search the land, they saw that the children of Anak were there. Now, who's the children of Anak? Anak are giants. I'm going to tell you, anytime God sends you into your promised land, you're going to have to fight giants. See, the thing about it is, and I always, I love it when God says, and I give to you, and I pronounce blessing upon you, but I don't like the part of knowing that I have to possess. Because when you have to possess, they're going to be the sons of Anak that are going to be there waiting for you. You say, well, I don't want to hear that now. We'll open up those little ears and open up that little mouth because I'm going to put you some food in there. Okay? All right, so um, they go over into that land and they go down by the brook of Eskol and they cut down a, a, a cluster of grapes. Now look, look at this. In the, the land where God promised him, and there is a cluster of grapes. It is so large and so bountiful that it takes two men to carry that. Can you imagine that? I mean, when I go to my refrigerator and I have a cluster of grapes... You know, it's just a little cluster in there, isn't it? But this was amazing. It was overwhelming when they carried that out of there. And I mean, can you just imagine they go in there, they get those grapes, and they begin to see the bounty, they begin to see the fruitfulness, they begin to see the provision and everything that is there, but then they come to the giants. See, you have to cut the giant's head off just like David did. The giants that you face in life, how do you take the giant's head off? Do you have a sword? You have a sword. The Bible says you have a sword called the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. And God arms you and equips you to where you can take the head off of the giant that you face to get into your Canaan land, your land of blessing. Okay, so... They go out there and, you know, they see all the pomegranates and the figs and how wonderful everything is. And they returned after 40 days. Uh, you know, anytime you see 40 days in the Bible, it's very significant because 40 days is a time of testing. See, they're gone for 40 days and they're being tested. And they don't even know they're being tested. And either when you have a test, what happens? Either you pass or you fail. Okay. So it's a time of testing. So they get over there and they brought back word 
unto them, in verse number 27, and they told him and said, we come into a land where thou sentest us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. In other words, this is confirmation. Look at what we've got here. This confirms it. But now here is an ugly word, the next word, nevertheless. In other words, what he's saying, never mind that. Never mind all the blessing. Never mind all the bounty. Never mind all the provision. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are wild and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. In other words, they had their eyes on something else, didn't they? Had their eyes not on God, not on His provision, not on the word that He had already given them. I give you this land. But he had, they had their eyes on the circumstances. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it. In other words, he said, get up off of your seat. And let's go right now. Let's just don't even wait an hour. Let's just go take it because God says it's ours. Let me tell you, faith is now. Now, I know about timing and I understand timing. And I know that there's things that we don't need to get ahead of God. But you know, when God has spoken and God has revealed, it's time. It's time to get up and go possess what God has given now, the reason I chose this story in dealing with strife is this. Here are these people. God's brought them out of the promised land. He parted the water. He provided for them. They, you know, they haven't had need of any. If they needed water, if they needed food, he supernaturally supplied and made the provision for them. And so then they get to this place and they're about ready to go over into Canaan's land and they can't go over because they, these 10 spies, see, these are representatives of the people in, the, in those tribes. And they can't go over because Caleb and Joshua only are the ones that have faith in their heart. And so, now, here's the children of Israel. They experience supernatural provision. They're down at the river with Miriam, and they're dancing and playing the tambourines, you know, as they cross the river, and they're celebrating, and supernaturally, God has put them over. And then you see this, and then they come over in, in the next chapter here that from where we are, and then what happens? They begin to murmur, and they begin to complain, and they began to go against Moses, the leader that God has raised up. You know, when you get into that murmuring and complaining stage, whether it's on your job or in your family or in your church, whatever the case may be, you know who you're going to take it out on? Leadership. That's what it's going to be. It's that boss of mine. If he wouldn't do this and if he would do that, you know, you might have, you know, just a nasty old boss that, you know, just has a nasty attitude, just grumpy and grumpy and everything else, but he's not your problem. If God gives you something, there's no giant, no grumpy, no complainer can stop you from getting to where you need to be. You can get there. But see, these people, they were chronic complainers, whiners. Don't whine. I just love to have a new Easter dress, but you know, my husband, he's just, he's so tight. 
He won't let me have anything. I'm whine and complain and whine and complain. You know what I'd do? I'd have a garage sale, get my own money, and go buy my dress. <laughs> get rid of some of that junk you got in your garage or whatever. Find a way. Find a way. And don't complain about him. Pray for him. Bless him. The Bible says, bless, your, bless people that, you know, that, that are... Your husband's not your enemy, but I mean, if, he, if he's not, if he doesn't see the need for that new dress or whatever, you know, don't take it out on him. Don't take it out on your boss if your boss is, well, you know, I, I, I'm a hard worker and that boss of mine, I tell you what, I, I need a raise and, uh, you know, he won't give me one. But you know what, if you sit down and talk to that boss, you find out you come in to work late you talk to other people in the office about him. You lay out of work. You don't work hard. You get paid for eight hours, but you don't really work eight hours. You kind of goof off, talk on the telephone, you know, run across the office and talk to this one, that one. You know, a little social life at the office. That's okay. That's, that's all right. But, you know, when you're taking chunks of time that you're being paid for, and then you expect that your boss is going to be real happy with you, it ain't going to happen. So the whining and complaining and, you know, all of that just going to get you in trouble instead of getting you where you need to be. Amen? Well, I just tell you what, I'm just on a roll. Okay, Psalms 133, I talked about how that, you know, the Bible talks about unity and how that it's like the anointing that's uh, harmony and unity is like oil that's poured uh, on the head and runs down on the garments. And, the, and you know, that denotes on the head and, and the leader, and then it runs down to the whole body. Jesus Christ is the head, and then it runs down to the whole body. And that's what unity and harmony does. And so if, you know, if, if, uh, if that unity and harmony brings the anointing oil out, what comes out, do you think, when there's discord and contention and strife? There's not the blessing that runs down. There's a curse that runs down. You know why? Hebrews talks about it when people are bitter and complaining and unforgiving and all of that. It says that a root of bitterness develops into their life and it defiles many. And so see, unity can bring blessing down through the body, blessing down through the company, blessing down through the family. And in the same way, discord and contention and strife and conflict can bring a curse down. And James talks about where there is envy and strife. Now listen to this. There's confusion and every evil work. I was into something not too long ago, and, and I, just start, I just stepped back and I just thought, this is one of the most confusing things I have been around in a long time. And I just had to step back. And that scripture came up in my spirit, James 3, 
Where there's envy and where there's strife, there's confusion in every evil work. In other words, the enemy is invited in when we open the door to strife. The enemy is invited in. And you know, the Bible says, give no place to the devil. You know what that word place means? Toehold. In other words, get your toe in the door. You know, have you ever done that? You know, I, I'm, I carry all these groceries in, you know, I'll go and I'll load up as many as I can because I don't want to keep going back to my car to get them, you know, to bring them in the house. And, you know, so then I'm trying to, you know, open the door so I have to get my toe in there, you know. Well, when the devil gets his toe in the door of your life, it's not going to be the toe. It's going to be his entrance. It opens an entrance up to him. And he's coming in. And strife will do that. So we have to keep strife at bay. Amen? Amen. We can't, we can't, that, that is a luxury we cannot afford. That's for sure. We looked at last time um, what causes strife. When we looked at pride, I'm not going to go back through that. Pride is a, a reason that we get into strife. We got to look better. We got to look bigger. We got to look more powerful. Be humble. Just be humble. Humility is the answer. And then another another thing uh, that can open the door to strife is anger. Proverbs 15, 18, a wrathful man stirs up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeases strife. Slow to anger. So see, you have to... Now, anger, listen to me now. Anger is an emotion that God gives to you, and it protects you, really. Uh, you know, people from just running over you, taking advantage. So anger in itself is not bad. It's what we do with anger, how we express anger, and how we carry it out in our life. That's where the problem is. And anger is learned. Did you know that? The way you deal with anger is learned. I know that. I, you know, I, I just took right after my mom. She would get mad and here it would go, yelling just as loud as she could yell. Now, mom's in heaven and she knows I'm talking about her tonight. <laughs> but you know what? So what did I do when I would get mad? I'd do the same thing. I'd just yell, you know. But I've learned better and so did she. You learn, you you are an imitator, whether you like it or not. You're an imitator of the parents who raised you. And if you don't like certain things, then it's up to you to change it. And the, th the qualities that you do like, let them be enhanced. Amen? All right, so be slow to anger and appease strife. And this word appease, now listen to this, it has to do with calming. It has to do with soften. In other words, to, if, if you're going to appease, you need to soften. Instead of like me, like saying, you know, what I used to do was yell at my brother, mainly. <laughs> we had this thing going on, you know, and we would fight. Any of you parents have teenagers that did that or do that? There's hope. I love him today. He loves me. We're good friends. <laughs> but we had that thing going on. So we can soften and we can lessen the effect of anger and strife. 
Amen. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. That's very important. Married people, don't go to bed at night mad at each other. Don't do that. Deal with it before, you know, it's time to go to bed and go to sleep. That's just not... I I think emotionally, and I think even your physical... Uh, body. I don't think it's good for you to be angry and strife-filled and yelling and doing all that kind of thing. It's not good anytime, but don't go to bed that way. The Bible tells us that. So he says you can be angry, but don't sin when you get angry. You could, See, you've got to learn how to express your anger. Let's listen to this now, facts about anger. Anger is not the real problem. It is a symptom, and it stems from hurt, fear, or frustration. Frustration can many times be the, really the top of the list in our life. We get angry because we're frustrated. We can't get to where we need to get. We can't get accomplished what we need to get accomplished. We, we can't reach the way we want to reach. And so we get angry because we're frustrated. And, and many times the people that we take our anger and, and this strife out on are not even the people who do things to us. We, we get mad at work at someone who's done us wrong or it wasn't a good day or whatever, and then we come home and we're angry and we get in strifeful situations with our family. And it's like, what do I do? Have you ever been there? You know, some of you husbands, you know what I'm talking about with your wife. It's like, you know, they say we're like spaghetti women, you know. Men are like those little waffles, you know, everything. You know, thinking this way, women are just going everywhere. And so in our spaghettiness, you know, we, we can take out things on people, maybe a husband, maybe our children, when they've really not done anything to us. Okay, the second thing is expressing anger does not decrease anger. If I just get this off my chest, no, that'll just make it worse. You don't need to do that. Usually it reinforces the tendency for future outbursts that, that will go on. Anger is learned. We talked a little bit about that. So we can learn new ways of expressing and controlling. You, let your life be spirit-controlled. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, I'm just, I'm just really trying not to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Stop trying to not fulfill it and start trying to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill. See, you can't do two things at one time. So you walk in the Spirit. You do it God's way. You follow the Holy Spirit. When He convicts you, when He says, no, don't say that. When He says, don't act that way, follow, walk in the Spirit. And you will not have those angry outbursts. You learn to express the right way. Amen. You need to take responsibility for being angry. Well, that person, they, what they did, yes, they may have done that, but they did not make you act in a strifeful, contentious way. That's what we choose. That's how we choose to respond. And it takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of spiritual strength not to react in those kinds of ways. I tell you what, sometimes when I get that way, I just get out of everybody's presence. Because don't, they don't need to hear what I'm going to say. 
and they don't need to be around me at that particular time. I'll just leave the room, and everybody will be better off because of it. And then what do you do? You get, you get a hold of it. You, get, you let your spirit rise up instead of your emotions and all your feelings and everything like that. Amen? Now, um, another cause of strife is selfishness and immaturity. Well, I want it my way. I want to do this. My, my way is better at work, in a work situation. You know, when you've got you know, a whole team of people and everybody's got thoughts and ideas and hopefully you, know, you get to make yours known and if it's not chosen, what do you do? Stub off? Get you know, stubborn? Well... If that's the way it is, then I'm not going to have a part of this team. I'll just let them go ahead and do it their way. Okay, go ahead, strifle. You see, the spiritual person, the person that handles things in the right way, you know what they'll say? You know, I think my way was better, but we're a team, and so we're going to pull together, and we're going to get this thing done. And we're going to do it right, and it's going to be a success. But you see, sometimes, now I see this in the church. I see this in the church, and not just here. I've seen it for years in church life, growing up in church. People, if it's not their idea or they don't like it, they will sabotage what the, if the other person won. They will sabotage it. If I've seen that one time, I've seen it I don't know how many times. You see, but because we are not going to live a life of strife and contention and conflict, we're going to walk in the Spirit and we're going to do it God's way. Now, conflicts happen. And, you know, some people think, well, if I'm a Christian, I can never have a disagreement or, you know, I can never have conflict. Well, let me tell you something. That's not real life. And you're going to have conflict, but you have to find ways to resolve conflict. One way I have found, it's called communication, conversation, two people talking it out. Not yelling it out, not accusing each other, but being able to talk. One talk and here's a novel idea. One talk, and one is quiet, and they listen. And then they switch, though, and then the one that was talking is quiet, and the one that was quiet will talk, and the other will listen. Isn't that, isn't that unique? <laughs> but you see... That's how you resolve conflict because I don't know how many times I thought, you know, in a, in, in a relationship, I thought, well, you know, they just didn't treat me right. They, you know, just, you know, it's, it's just not right. Something, you know, we need to get, have an understanding here. And you know what? We get together, two people get together with a conflict and talk, them talk, and me listen, really listen, and not just getting ready, you know, the, to fire the cannon once they stop. See, we do that many times. We're not even listening. We're getting ready. We're preparing in our mind what we're going to say. 
instead of listening. But when I really listen, I hear something and I'll think, you know, I, I didn't know that. I understand a little now. I didn't understand that. And maybe the same with me. They, they'll feel the same with me. So conflict goes on. Conflict in the home. Now, you know, conflict in the home, you know, and it can be a domineering wife, and they just say, bless God, my word's the last word. I'm the spiritual one in this house. <laughs> or it can be a man, and he, bless God's the head of this house, and he's going to tell everybody what to do. You know, see, if that's an attitude... You're never going to get anywhere. You know why? Because God says, Husbands, you love your wife like Christ loves the church. I never see Christ knocking around the church, the members of the, the believers. I never see him abusing them. I never see him verbally coming against them. I don't. He's got leadership and love and strength. And, and that leadership in that home has to take the man, if he's the husband, he does need to take, you know, when you know, you're joint heirs together, but when decisions have to be made and in that home and the husband says, you know, we prayed, we've done everything, I still feel this is what... That's the way you go, ladies. That's the way you go. That's scriptural. You follow God. You follow Him that way. But you see, in the same way that the husband is to love the, love the wife as Christ loves the church, so the woman is to respect and honor her husband. Well, bless God, all he does is throw his clothes everywhere and I have to pick up after him and... <laughs> Here we go. See, mm -mm. maybe he does. Pick him up. Pick him up. Some things, you know, after you've been married, one thing about marriage for a little while, <laughs> you know what it is? You begin to see some things are not worth fighting over. Socks in the floor, pick them up, throw them in the hamper, go on and don't even say anything else. And you tell Eddie King I said so. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm just teasing. But anyway, I just want you to see and understand, conflict will take place. But it's, it's, it's not that it takes place, it's how you deal with it when it takes place. And remember that strife is a killer. It will kill relationships. And again, folks, it'll kill your finances. I believe that, I believe that because there is a strife-filled, anger-filled kind of tension atmosphere in homes. I believe that's one of the reasons that children can be, that's not the only reason, but it, it's one of the reasons that there can be a rebellious attitude in children because there's that overtone that, that just kind of is like a cloud that hangs over, you know, hangs over a home. And, you know, there... There's so much more, again, I could say tonight. But where I would just want to land this plane, and I just want to say, wherever you are in relationships, again, whether it be on your job, in your family, in your church, 
with friends, whatever the case may be, decide to live a life where it's not riddled with strife, but where you have peace. You know, I love this scripture in Psalms, um, not Psalms, Proverbs, and and it talks about um, a, a calm and undisturbed mind is the health of the flesh. Many times we're suffering yeah, emotionally, but more than emotionally, physically, we're suffering because our peace is gone, because our atmosphere around us, you know, you know, and, and, and once you start that, don't think that strife is just going to live to itself. If you've got that habit, you've got to break that habit because it's going to go to work with you. It's going to live with you in that house. It's going to come to church with you unless you deal with it. And see, that's what this is all about. Identify strife. You, you can't correct something. I was reading the other day, I was thinking about doing a, a message on how to change and yeah, how to make change in your life because so many times, you know, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to get the same results. You need to change sometimes. And see, you, you, you've got to change things that are going on. And one number one thing before you can make that change from going from a strife-filled life to one that's free and peaceful is you've got to recognize and identify the strife that's going on. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want any part of that. Do you? I want to, I want to live peacefully. Peace is so important, isn't it? Peace He gives you that passes all human comprehension. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Pastor Nora King. If you'd like to contact us, you can visit us online at redemptionchurch.com. We'll see you back here next week for another powerful message from Pastor Nora.